we can all become a little more adept at giving feedback that sparks joy, not fear, and that actually positions people for success and not failure, simply by changing our message and our mindset. Let's face it. What is the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word feedback? Are you filled with dread, doom, and gloom, and just this overall feeling of ugh? Well, I'll be the first to say that this word feedback does not necessarily spark joy. Today's guest on the podcast is Joe Hirsch, an internationally recognized expert on leadership and communication, a best-selling author of the book, The Feedback Fix, and also the host of the podcast, I Wish They Knew. Joe helps leaders and organizations to make feedback fearless. Described by Wharton professor Adam Grant as a breath of fresh air, Joe uses powerful models, memorable stories, and relatable research to help leaders and teams turn feedback into a cause for joy and not fear. Today, we're going to explore the principles of feedback, both from the giver and the recipient's perspective. We'll also dive into ways that we can improve our relationship with feedback and understand why the principles of fearless feedback is essential for leaders desiring to communicate with lasting and effective impact. Enjoy! Hi! This is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hello, Joe, and welcome to the Explore This podcast, darling, and all the way from Maryland, the US. Hi there. Great to be with both of you today. Awesome, Joe. So I first came across your work in your TEDx talk titled The Joy of Getting Feedback, which we will definitely link in the show notes for our audience. But let's be real, Joe. Let's cut the chase, get down to business. This title of your TEDx talk itself is quite counterintuitive. The first thing I would think of is when we think of the word feedback, I doubt we think that, yay, it sparks joy. You know what I mean? (laughs) So let's start from the top. And, you know, just a straight up question to you, Joe, and excuse my French, but I have to ask you this. Why the heck do you care so much about feedback and why is it something that you're so passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about it because it's personal for me, like a lot of things in life. We care about the things that hit us in a deep way. And for me, getting feedback was not a source of joy. It actually became a cause for fear. And it was only until... I had one breaking point that almost ended a career that I loved and relationships that I cherished, that I realized that something had to change. And as I begin to understand why feedback was so difficult for me and to unpack the science and strategies around giving and receiving fearless feedback, I realized that this is something that we can all do better at. We can all become a little more adept at giving feedback that sparks joy, not fear, And that actually positions people for success and not failure, simply by changing our message and our mindset. Yeah. So on that note, you know, earlier you said that you want feedback not to be causing you fear, but rather to be the source of joy. When people think about feedback immediately, we think of awkwardness. We think of, you know, sometimes it gives a sort of feeling of cringing. It can be painful. It can really be anxiety inducing, causing you to palpitate sometimes before you have that feedback session. So why really does feedback get such a bad reputation? Yeah, it often leaves us feeling defeated and deflated, doesn't it? And all those symptoms you described are real for people. Everyone has a memory of a feedback encounter that left them feeling exactly the way you described. 
a feeling like they're powerless to change. Because too often feedback focuses on a past that can't be changed. And it describes events that cannot be controlled. And so that feeling of being defeated, of being deflated, uh, certainly provokes that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. But it also makes us feel smaller, not bigger. Too often feedback robs us of our agency. It, it deprives us of our dignity. And it actually makes us feel like we're not capable of achieving the change that others want to see us have. And then, of course, you come to the whole issue of bias and blindness, that way too often feedback has more to do with what the giver thinks and feels than what the receiver actually believes or needs. And when that happens, you create a host of cognitive and situational biases that very often end up putting the focus of feedback on the person giving it and not on the person who's receiving it. And so for all these reasons, the feeling that we're being judged, the feeling that we are hopeless and helpless, the feeling that others are simply talking about themselves and not us, that actually makes us feel like feedback is something we want to give back and not have anything to do with. But we can change that. Mm. Based on your study of feedback from all of these years and from all the people that you've spoken to, what have you learned to be the biggest assumption of feedback that people often have? I think feedback is often thought of as something that we do to others and not what we do for them. And this distinction is very important because when we are simply trying to force a change on others, then we make it virtually impossible for them to arrive at an insight. And it's that desire to be a fixer, not a framer, right? Someone who who's always jumping in and solving problems for others rather than framing the problem so that others can help solve it for themselves. That's why feedback often becomes a power struggle and becomes a, a cause for fear and not joy. Because when we feel like we are having something done to us or for us, then we don't feel like we have control over that situation anymore, nor do we feel like we have control over where the situation ought to go next. And so for People who assume that feedback is something that we have to do to others, that is an assumption that we ought to change because the greatest gift that we can give someone is not just feedback, but is runway for them to actually act on that feedback in a way that suits their terms, their timeline, and their tastes. Wow, that's something that I think I've not heard myself, Joe, because we've always heard this phrase and it's quite cliche, but it says feedback is a gift. But now rethinking about it, feedback is a runway and that runway allows for us to also recognize that everyone anticipates it differently, not just from a timing wise, but in terms of how they receive it. Am I right to say that? Yeah, I would think of it much more as a deposit and not a gift. You know, I love that. When you make it I often think that, you know, when we think about feedback in these terms as a deposit, then that is something that we leave with the person, but it's really up to them to decide where it goes, right? So if I make a deposit in my kid's bank account, you know, we have four boys and they get an allowance and when we make a deposit in that bank account of theirs, they get to decide what happens with those funds. Where does it go next? They can save it. They can spend it. They can donate it to charity. They can do a lot of things with it, but it's ultimately their choice. And where feedback goes is ultimately the responsibility of the person who gets that feedback. You know, we don't choose the feedback we get, but we always get to choose what happens next. And so 
with that idea in mind, feedback as a deposit, we get to choose if it becomes a gift or not. And frankly, you know, we don't get to choose the gifts we get in life, but we can turn them into gifts by doing something really good with it. Wow, that's very profound. We're just at the start of this conversation, Joe, but it feels like there's a whole lot of gems that we'll definitely be unpacking even further with you. And, you know, further diving into this conversation, we're going to learn and explore the principles of feedback with you. But Joe, one thing that I've heard you say before is that the secret to giving better feedback isn't about what we say and it's about what others hear. Now, you've spoken about that quite briefly, but, you know, would you like to elaborate a little bit more on that? So I, I think that there's a desire with feedback to be right. We want to be right when describing someone else's performance or someone else's personality. And we often feel that we're the ones who are correct. But the job of feedback is not to be right. It's to do right. It's to do right by others. Because unless we do right by others, then our feedback is just a string of words that rarely lead to lasting change and improvement. And so... We have to be careful about how we position this feedback so that it lands better for others. You know, like a like a plane, feedback is really all about the takeoff. And if you have a good takeoff, then you have a good landing. And the reason why we get into so much turbulence in these conversations and so much friction and so much fear is because we haven't really thought about what the other person needs. And that really hits at this idea of being an empathetic feedback giver. The research is quite clear on this, that when we give feedback with empathy by thinking about not just what we need out of the situation, but what others want, then we can actually deliver a message that is more resonant and more realistic. A couple of really interesting pieces of research that sort of align with this. One is the feedback that we show and not just the feedback that we say. And some really interesting research that came out just about six months ago speaks about the power of our feedback face. You know, the feedback that we show when we give feedback. And it was really interesting because giving positive feedback, a positive message with, with a negative affect, with like a down face or scowls or frowns, actually made the message seem a lot worse than it actually was. So if I'm talking to someone on my team about their performance, and it's actually quite complimentary, or at least not negative, but the affect that I show is then that's the message that's going to resonate with them. And that's what's going to hit. And what was really interesting about this research is that that kind of feedback, you know, positive feedback, but with a negative face, it hit harder and lasted longer than simply just saying that same message without any affect whatsoever. And so we really have to be careful about our feedback face. And, and that's what people ultimately hear and remember, the face that we show, not just the words that we say. But it's also about the words, right? Because ultimately feedback is a language exercise, not just an exercise in, in human interaction. And so we have to make sure that our message is helping people get the results that they need that will help them later, not just what we want for right now. And some other really interesting research on the power of prescriptive language versus descriptive language shows that when we tell and sell others on our view and our version of events that actually leaves them feeling content or at least in control in the moment. But ultimately, they don't have the agency and the empowerment to act on this feedback later on because we've told them what to do, but they haven't figured out what to do for themselves. So rather than tell and sell, we should be 
listening and learning so that we can actually understand what they need and make sure that we're delivering the message that they want to hear. Well, Joe, that is a perfect runway for us to dive a little bit further into how we can give better feedback. And now, obviously, we're, we're going to talk a little bit later on about how we can get better at receiving feedback. But in this portion of the conversation, when we're talking about how we can get better at giving better feedback, you know, at the end of the day, we realize and recognize that there is no easy way to handle a difficult conversation. So whether we're, you know, facing high stakes negotiation, delivering delicate feedback, or even seizing any new opportunities, the words that we share can have an unmistakable impact and it's something that we can never retract. So for example, when it comes to discussing performance issues, some managers try to disguise their feedback with a praise sandwich, something that is, is so common. We've heard of that before. But I think it, you have a better idea of proposing something else other than a praise sandwich. And in a praise sandwich, you know, the, the managers might end up talking around the issues or dodging the conversation altogether. So, you know, share with us what is the better framework or advice that you can give us in terms of giving better feedback? Yeah, so the, the praise sandwich is is actually common and it actually, it comes from a good place. Mm -hmm. You know, many of the managers that I work with and the teams that they support are, are looking for an easy, non-confrontational way to engage in these conversations. And the praise sandwich seems to fit the bill. Tell someone something positive, then sneak in that little piece of critical feedback and then end with a positive note. And hopefully you check the box and everyone feels happy at the end of the day. Well, guess what? No one is served when you share information because when people talk in code and talk around issues rather than directly at them, then it leaves people feeling confused and confounded and, and ultimately uncertain about how to proceed with their next steps. And there's nothing wrong with praise, it's just the sandwich that really muddles everything up. And so rather than talk around issues, I like to say that, you know, praise sandwiches can be replaced with just a small twist. And that's a feedback wrap, W-R-A-P. Like here in the United States, quite common to have those where you bundle lots of different things together in this flour tortilla or as a wrap and actually leaves people feeling much better at the end. So the feedback wrap, is candid, it's caring, it's collaborative. It takes a direct approach to how we have these conversations. And ultimately it invites others to be partners in that process of their own progress. And so let's break that down a little bit. The RAP stands for four things, what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. What and where, reason, affect, and prompt. And in each of these four stages, the goal is to approach with both candor and care so that we invite more dialogue and more reflection on the part of the other person so that we are approaching as partners, not power brokers. So let's start with the what and the where. Describe what's happening and where it's happening. You know, give that feedback an actual location. When we talk around issues, people often wonder what it is that they have to do or fix or change. And by not telling them what's happening and where it's happening, we actually leave them feeling more uncertain and more unsettled. So give them the what and the where. I want to tell you, Sarah, about something that, that happened yesterday in a sales meeting when you spoke over Janice. Can we find some time later today to talk about that? Okay, so I've given you a very clear picture of, of where it is that we're going to be having this conversation, where it's focused. We talk about the reason. And not just 
why I want to have this conversation in terms of the impact on our team or the impact of dynamics, but because I care about you. And this is where we position feedback in the context of care. And so I would say to you, Sarah, the reason I want to share with you this, this feedback about what happened in the meeting with Janice is because I saw how upset she looked when you spoke over her in the meeting. And she was just about to tell us what she thought was a really important detail in her plan to increase sales. And you kind of cut in and diverted attention away from her back to you, which left her feeling ultimately kind of defeated and kind of threw the dynamics off. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I know how much you care about our team. I know how much you care about our success. And I want you to know that I care about you. And so giving the reason really comes down to caring. When we show that we care, people know that we care about their success and them. So we've positioned the feedback. We've put it into the context of care by giving the reason for it. And then we talk about affect. We want to move feedback out of the realm of judgment and blame and into the realm of contribution and connection. When I tell you, Sarah, what I think you're doing wrong, you'll immediately argue, right? Because we can argue with what people say, but we can't disagree with how it makes others feel. So if I were to approach and say, Sarah, I thought you were rude when you cut off Janice, then you'll be like, oh, wait a second. That was actually not rude at all. Do you know how many times she's cut me off? This is just what we do. And by the way, how come we're not calling out Tom or Jim on the team? Like, what about them? They do this all the time. Why are you singling me out? And so it often becomes blame and shame when we start describing what we think others have done. But if we talk about the impact on others, then that's not something that most reasonable people will argue with. If I were to say, Sarah, I felt badly for Janice when you cut her off because at that moment, she was just about to help us understand her plan for increasing sales, but then you cut her off. And I just, I felt bad for her because I could see her face kind of fall. Most reasonable people won't argue with that. So by describing what's happening and where it's happening, by putting it into the context of care, by giving the reason why we're sharing this feedback, by describing the impact and the affect that it's caused, we then prepare ourselves for the last and most important step of this wrap, the prompt, where instead of telling and selling, we do more listening and learning. I would say to you, Sarah, what do you think we should do next? Or where do we go from here? Now, at that point, most reasonable people will think to themselves, well, I had no idea that I was even doing this. I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware that I spoke over Janice in the meeting. I feel terrible about it. I'm so happy you actually gave me the opportunity to weigh in on this. And now the conversation has become de-escalated and it's become much more constructive, leaving you with the opportunity to actually weigh in with what you think should happen next. And what I found happens most of the time is that the solution that is proposed by that person, when you give them the opportunity to speak and to weigh in, is going to be as good or even better than the solution that you would have imposed yourself. And so by creating this context for candor, where we are clear about what is happening and where it's happening, we don't pull any punches. We speak directly into the issue. We don't talk around it. We describe the impact that it's having on the team. And we give others the opportunity to have more voice and choice in what happens next. That is the moment that feedback stops becoming an exercise in judgment and becomes a process of joyousness because we now feel empowered to act. We feel clear about what needs to happen next. And we feel like we've actually been given a chance to speak into the issues that are most important to us. 
It's such a small change, but the impact is so great. Well, there's a lot to unwrap there, Joel. I like what you did there. I know you would have caught me there, but it makes me wonder then with, with so much to think about, what are some languages that we should not be using when we are attempting to give this rap feedback? So I think it starts with changing the way we think about this whole process, right? It's really not about telling and selling. It's about listening and learning. And so we want to make sure that others have that path for contribution and for dialogue. And I think it starts with, you know, acknowledging that this is probably a tough conversation that has to happen. And so if I were to approach with something like, well, Sarah, it looks like, you know, this was a hard, this was a hard meeting. And I want to just talk that through with you. Um, and I want to see how you're doing. I want to just check in and see if this is, you know, s- see how this is like landing with you. And so by acknowledging someone's feelings, that feedback's going to feel more supportive from the very start. It also really requires us to approach with a learning mindset. Very often we'll offer feedback with, with this caveat. Have you considered, right? Which which really isn't a question, right? It, it's really a prescription hiding in the language of questions. And so when we when we speak like that, when we lead with these kinds of of, uh, of language, then ultimately people already, you know, raise up their defenses and start to prepare for the battle that's going to ensue, their view versus my view. So really knowing the difference between a question and a statement is important as well. And I think asking for permission is also critical. Even though it's not something that you necessarily have to do as the manager, it is your right to give feedback. I think by doing that, it actually invites more dialogue and more partnership. So saying something like, would you like me to share some solutions with you or would you just like me to listen? Okay, is a is a permission that I think can bring a lot of comfort and care to those conversations. And then finally, approaching as a partner and using the language of partnership and not power, which is something we talked about earlier, to help people understand that, look, I know other people are going through similar things. I've helped other people with similar things and I wanna work through this together with you because feedback like that feels a lot more collaborative than controlling. And when we speak that way, we ultimately bring people into the conversation rather than pushing them off to the side. I do think that approach, you know, it makes the person on the receiving end put their guard down and open them up for potentially challenging conversations, but essentially you're priming them in a space where they feel like it's psychologically safe. So, you know, really like the actionable tools, the the rap model got me feeling a little bit hungry, but yes, thank you for that actionable and very memorable mnemonic to help us remember on how we can get better at giving feedback. So now I want to explore the other side of the coin with you, Joe. When you mentioned about feedback that is like a deposit, we want to explore what do we now do as recipients of feedback with the feedback that has not been deposited to us? as recipients of feedback when you're in the situation of sitting through a tough performance review or being called out sometimes maybe even publicly, it can trigger feelings of shame, frustration, and helplessness. And it's definitely not easy to have to go through feedback that sometimes could be made worse when it's done publicly. What would you advise our audience as the recommended approach to use to best position ourselves to receive feedback? I think it's important that when you get feedback that makes you feel bitter, just try to be better. It's that shift from being bitter to being better that ultimately activates that sense of agency, which you still have, right? You don't control the message you get, but you always control where it goes. 
So a few things that are helpful. Number one, don't respond right away. Impose a cooldown period and really sit with that feedback and try to separate the signal from the noise. It's hard to do that in the moment where you want to defend your honor, preserve your dignity and show your right. But ultimately that's not the time to do it. The goal is to process the feedback and, and not act on it right away. We rarely say the best thing in the moment. So impose that cooldown period. I think it's also helpful to widen that feedback loop. And if you get a feedback message you don't like very much, ask others in your network or in your space of colleagues and friends, you know, who, who care for you and who will give you candid feedback if what they're hearing sounds accurate. You know, because even when we try to process that feedback, sometimes we're just way too close to the problem to actually see it. And so giving a little bit of distance to this, not just in time, but in terms of context and asking others for their insights and gathering their perspectives can actually be pretty helpful. So going to a friend saying, hey, my boss yesterday told me that I speak over others in meetings. Have you noticed this about me? Like, do I do this with, with us? Like when we're together as, you know, in a group of friends, do I have a tendency to do this? And, and just really listen to what others who care about you and know you have to say. And then ultimately, I think it's important to return to the source. You know, once you've had some time to think about it and you've reached out to others and you've gotten their ideas as well, I think it's important to show the person who gave you that feedback that you're serious about acting on it and to frankly express gratitude for them sharing it with you. Ultimately, we can only get better if we get feedback. And we said before, feedback's a gift. Well, you know, it is, but it's not a gift that everyone wants to give. And so when someone does have the courage and the care to share something with you, really treat that as something special and thank them for giving you that information, that insight into who you are and who you can become. And by doing that, I think you, you do two things. You close the loop, okay? Because now they've given you feedback that let's say you talk over others in meetings, you can then come back to them and say, hey, thank you for sharing that with me. I've thought about this. I've spoken to some friends about this. And I realize it's something that I do. And I just appreciate you letting me know about this and making me more aware of this blind spot in my performance. I know that I'm going to try to do better at this. And here are some ideas I have about how. You can even then ask them for their suggestions as well. So you've closed the loop, but you've also now opened the door. Because when this person who gave you feedback sees how seriously you're taking it and how you're not bitter, but you're getting better, that's an invitation to give more feedback down the road. You've mm -hmm. opened the door to future conversations. And that virtuous cycle of feedback, act, feedback, act, is going to ultimately give you the critical information you need when you need it. And by shutting that door to feedback, you close yourself off from these important insights and impacts that you may be having. So keeping the door open and expressing some gratitude goes a long way, both for your relationship with the giver, but also for your own development and growth. What if in the situation where you, you've already cooled down, you've already spoken to your trusted circle about the situation, but deep within your heart, it everyone around you seconds the fact that whatever the feedback giver said was very untrue and very unfair to you. What will you then do with that feedback? And in that moment, how would you then go back to the person and kind of gracefully disagree? Is there a way to gracefully disagree? And should we? How would you recommend going about that? Yeah, I think feedback ultimately doesn't define us. 
it, it just refines us. And I think that one of the, the big problems with, with getting negative feedback is that we just, we, we think that, okay, this is who I am and this is who I will always be. And that's just not true. This is one person's perception of you. Now, that perception may hurt. That perception may have lasting consequences in terms of career advancement or promotion, but it never defines you because we get to decide the person that we want to become. And ultimately, negative feedback can have a positive upside. There's great research that shows the impact on our creativity, the impact on our ability to become more determined. These are these are refining aspects of our performance that after getting that negative review, we can say, well, I'm going to show them. You think I talk over people in meetings? I'm going to become a much more empathetic listener. I'm going to become a much more collaborative partner at work. I'm going to show that person that that's not who I am. And so it actually leads in the short term to a burst in determination that can actually be very helpful for our performance long-term. It also is going to provoke a sense of, I think, reflection for a lot of people that if this is something that really is unfair, then we ought to ask the question, well, maybe I'm getting feedback from all the wrong sources, or maybe this is not the right place for me to be working with someone who doesn't see me for who others really see me as. And so it can actually be a wake-up call for for action that we need to take for ourselves, for our career, or at the very least to then realize that, well, this person is just going to see me this way and that's not anything I can do about it. But there are other people who I can still choose to associate with and get feedback from that can give me better insights, more constructive understandings, and ultimately information that I can act on in a way that leaves me feeling more whole and not less when it's all over. Thanks for those insights, Joe. It makes me wonder, given that you've only sort of recently embarked on this whole journey of obsessing over feedback because of your personal experience, when you were in your situation and your difficult, challenging workplace moment when you received not so favorable feedback, how did you react to it? So I became very defensive and I mm -hmm. denied and defied <laughs> most of the, <laughs> the feedback that was given to me. And it was only when I became so blind to those shortcomings that I literally could not find my way around work relationships and work progress. And so that was my wake up call. And it was the moment that I allowed that door to open and to start receiving that feedback and to realize that ultimately I'm only going to get as good as I allow myself to become. Mm. and I can't get better all by myself. I need others to help me. And that was about five years ago. So over the last five years, I've worked on unpacking the science and the strategies around giving feedback without fear. And that became the book, The Feedback Fix and the TED Talk. And now I share that message with audiences around the world. And what I've come to realize is that we always can control what happens next. We may not control what's happening now, but we always get a say in the future that we want to write for ourselves. And that's the fix that we get to create. We create the future that we want, not that others think we need. That's profound, Joe. And we are very happy to have you here again, emphasizing the fact that, you know, we get to amplify your story. And based on your personal experience, you have now come to where you are today, written this book called The Feedback Fix. And, you know, we get to learn from you. So it's to me, a win-win for all, you know, which leads me to my next question, Joe. How can we think about 
exercising the muscle of getting used to asking for feedback informally or rather in a safe space in order to prepare ourselves for the time when, you know, there are more formal feedback sessions, whether they're performance reviews, especially in a workplace scenario, you know, I think because at the end of the day, it's about the micro steps that will prepare us for the big thing, right? So what do you recommend in terms of how we can make this actionable in a day-to-day for our audience here? I think there's work to be done both on the part of the employee, the individual contributor and the leader. For the individual contributor, for the employee, it's your job to seek feedback. You may not be getting it when you want or how you want, but ultimately that's your responsibility, even though bad feedback is not your problem. And so developing ways to get feedback on your terms and your timeline is really critical. Talk about having that challenge network of people that know you, that care about you, and that are willing to share with you the candid, sometimes unpleasant truths that you need to hear. And so developing a group of people who you can turn to when you feel all turned around, that's really critical to have at the ready so that when that negative feedback does come through, you're ready to speak to them and to seek their guidance. And for the leader, I think it's important to realize that you get the feedback culture that you deserve. And if you don't recognize others for acting on that feedback, or you don't even ask for it yourself, then you're modeling pretty poor feedback behaviors. So simple things that you can do to help others feel empowered and encouraged to seek that feedback and receive it joyously and without fear is building into your daily interactions, opportunities for recognition, letting people know that you see the work they're doing and that you appreciate their efforts to act on the feedback that that has been shared. And then also maybe even modeling it for others. Uh, If you're the kind of leader who has the humility and the inquiry, the curiosity to ask for feedback yourself, that would be a very powerful model for everyone on the team to know that it's safe for them to seek that feedback as well. So leaders get the feedback they deserve. Leaders get the feedback cultures they create. And ultimately, when we make it possible for others to feel safe and empowered to seek that feedback, we know that they'll probably act on it once it's given. I really like what you said about you know leaders getting the feedback culture that you create. And I really hope that all of the people managers out there, bosses, senior leaders will take a listen on whatever that you've just said because it is truly something that I think a lot of us can resonate with, right? At what some or another, we would all have managers that we work with and eventually go on to become people managers. And, you know, coming to the last question on feedback, we want to explore that in the context of the Asian culture where there is power distances that happen between managers and subordinates. And this is very prevalent, right, in many of these organizations here in Asia. And this speaks to the point of psychological safety, where we feel that the feeling that we feel we can be ourselves without judgment or social repercussion. How can we, as Junity members, get over the fear of providing feedback to our managers or more senior people in the team? Are there any conversation structures or even just models that you can recommend to those who are listening out there? I think it's important to ask the kinds of questions that are going to get you the feedback that's closer to what you want. And so a lot of times managers are not reluctant to give the feedback, but because of the dynamics that you described, may feel like it's their job just to provide it when they feel like it's good for them and not when it's good for the employee. And so by 
and you as the employee sort of asserting and initiating that feedback with the power of questions and asking it and becoming more of a feedback magnet that attracts that information, that's really helpful. As far as delivering it up to your manager, one thing that is is helpful and does have some cross-cultural relevance is the idea of seeking feedback by asking your boss to give it to you outside of those formal occasions and then saying, you know, would it be helpful if if there are ever times when when you're needing something, would it be helpful for me to play the part of that mirror holder who helps you see things as well? Not to suggest that I'm going to give you that feedback and fix you, but to just be that sounding board that if you ever need to bounce an idea off of, I might play the role of devil's advocate. I might play the role of a cross-examiner, that I could try to at least see the other side for you. And I'm happy to play that role. Now, by positioning that as a role play, rather than as presumptuously saying, I could be your feedback partner, that opens the door for the boss to see you as someone who might be the person that he or she goes to to have those conversations. It also puts you in the unique position of now having much more partnership with your boss. And so put yourself forward as someone who could be a, a feedback receiver. Please tell me when there are things that you want me to hear. And I'll even ask you for feedback outside of our regular conversations and cadences. But I also want you to know that I'm here to bounce ideas off of. And if you ever are going through a difficult issue with your boss, I'm happy to sort of role play and allow you to bounce those ideas off me. And I'll do my best to try to be that person who helps you see it as best as you can. Joe, have you ever wondered, or do you actually know why is this called feedback? Because based on everything that you've said and all the research that you've done about how it's meant to be something that the recipient receives as a gift that they can take time to process and it's about getting better instead of bitter. But why is it something that we call feedback and we look back on when it's not very forward looking? It really makes me wonder where where did this even come from? So it's, it's, it's actually a great question. And it's something that a lot of people have thought about. And here, at least in the United States, there is a short history, you know, when, when it comes to giving feedback and actually how it started was in the context of command and control, not connect and converse. It had origins in the government for government workers. This goes back, at least when talking about the modern workplace, it started uh, in about the 1920s within that hierarchical chain of command environment and evolved over time into something that became much more prescriptive. We're talking at least here in the US around the 1950s, 60s, and then later 70s, 80s with forced rankings and, and, and a much more prescriptive kind of feedback culture, which ultimately set in and hardened over time. As to why we tend to focus on the past, most naturally because that's where things start, right? Every feedback problem starts with something that has already happened. So by its very nature, feedback has to start with something that has already occurred. If it weren't that way, then we'd be talking about a goal and not about feedback. Now, what I would like more people to do is not just to ignore the past, but don't end there. We have to focus on things that have happened. We can't ignore the record of behavior, but what we can do is use that as a springboard for where the conversation might go. And by changing our mindset from just looking back at the past that people can't change 
to a future that they still can. We invite them to become partners in that process. We de-escalate the tension and the fear that often comes into play within those conversations. And we tend to focus less on the ratings, but on the relationships, about the agency and not just the accountability, the joy and not just the fear. And if we can make that small shift from past to future, from feedback to feed forward, to this forward-looking view of who people are and who they are becoming, then we can actually take those unchangeable events that occurred and use them as a springboard for future success. Because we can't go back and change what has happened, but we can always start where we are and change what can happen next. What a wonderful way to wrap up the episode and, you know, so much food for thought, really rethinking what feedback is about and how we can look at it from a feed forward perspective and, you know, to really improve ourselves and look at, look internally with the feedback that's been given to us so graciously. So now we're going to wrap up with the very final question that we like to ask our guests at the end of every Explore This episode, which is, what is the one thing you recently explored that surprised you? That is such a good question. Recently, I spent a lot of time thinking about how what we show matters more than what we say. We touched on this earlier in our conversation and the power of not just our words, but our affect, the feedback face that we show actually is so important and does so much to color in the lines of those conversations. So I've been thinking and rethinking about my approach to how not only the words that we share matter, but the face that we show matters even more. And it's something that I think we can all get a little bit better at and a little more mindful about as well. Absolutely. And, you know, even just by you sharing that at the beginning of the episode, it's making me think about all the times I've provided feedback. And honestly, never once did I ever make sure to ensure that my facial expression aligns with the tone of which I'm trying to convey. So absolutely going to make that a part of the entire feedback giving process and receiving process from now on as well. And lastly, where can our listeners find you if they would like to learn more about the work that you do? So I invite everyone out there to make feedback fearless by going to joehirsch.me, J-O-E-H-I-R-S-C-H.me, where you can find lots of tools and techniques for making feedback fearless and explore some of the work I've done with companies around the world to make feedback a source of joy and not fear. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for your time with us here. You know, it feels like we can dive so much more into it and there's just so much more to learn from you. But in today's short episode, you know, you've shared with us about how we can rethink feedback, not just as a gift, but as a deposit, and also how we can get better at giving and rethinking this praise sandwich into a feedback wrap. So W standing for what and where, R for reason, demonstrating that you care, A for affect, as well as P for the prompt. And you also elaborated about how we can get better at receiving feedback and exercising that muscle. And finally, discussing feed forward. And I love this term because it really represents this springboard for future success. And we can never change what we receive and we can never change our past, but we can definitely change or be in control of how we respond and what can happen next. So we really appreciate the time that you're here on the podcast today to help us to rethink the way that we approach this feedback from a 
source of fear to a cause of joy. So any final words from you for all our audience today? I think it's important for everyone out there to realize that we have it in us to be agents of our own change and improvement. And we don't have to settle for feedback that leaves us feeling defeated or depleted. Feedback is the most important tool for our personal growth. When it comes our way, accept it, act on it, and ultimately pay it forward to help others do the same. That was a wonderful wrap up, Joe. So thank you. And we can all go ahead and have our supper wraps as well. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. If you stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every alternate Mondays at 8pm. See you then!